So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Peter was uh, just mentioning that there will be scoffers that will come, and they will say, where is this coming that he promised, and how they deliberately forget um, that the world was interrupted once with the flood. It's going to be interrupted again, but this time with fire. And we're, we're in the middle of that, and I just wanted to give you a little context before we start. So hear God's word to you this morning. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, it's actually beloved, not dear friends. Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, beloved, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right. We got a word this morning. Mm-mm-mm. So there's a theme that Peter picks up on in this last chapter of his epistle that uh, likens the second coming of Christ to a thief in the night. You pick that up? You might have picked it up earlier in our reading as well. Jesus mentioned it in Matthew 24, 43 to 44. He said this, Keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. <laughs> If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect. Him. The Apostle Paul echoes the words of our Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he writes this. Now brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like what? A thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
But you, here's the key, but you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that that day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. Now here in Peter's second epistle before us this morning, he emphasizes the same point related to our Lord's promised return. He says, as we just read, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I don't know about you, when the Bible repeats itself over and over again, it's kind of like, you know, when your parents keep emphasizing something really important, and then when you get older, you go, I should have listened. Right? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. This whole world is almost done. That's what Peter's saying. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. What a day that's going to be. Like Jesus and, his, and Peter's fellow apostle Paul, Peter tells us what kind of impact knowing this fact, indeed keeping it in mind always, should have on our everyday lives. That's what we're dealing with here. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, Peter asks, what kind of people ought you to be? And that would be the title of my sermon. What kind of people ought we to be? That's the question. Since in light of this great fact of history that's going to happen in the future. In other words, unlike the unbelieving scoffers that he talked about earlier, we know that a day is coming just as surely as the first coming of Jesus was promised and it happened just like he said. We know that his delay is actually an act of mercy and grace. It's given us more time to repent and to live by faith. We know that the world as we know it will not always go on just as it has since the beginning of creation. That's a lie. Just as the cataclysmic flood Interrupted it once and brought destruction and renewal. Listen, this is important. So a cataclysmic destruction by fire this time will occur when the Lord returns to set up his throne and to bring in a new heavens and a new earth. And the ungodly, those who refuse to repent and believe, the word here is, according to the Apostle Paul and we just read with Peter, is destruction. that old saying, but unfortunately it's true, there will be hell to pay. See, Jesus paid hell. But if you don't accept his payment, what other option you got? Not a good one. We know ahead of time, and that's the whole point of this whole thief analogy, we know, we know ahead of time the thief's breaking in. <laughs> so I'm just going to let you know ahead of time so we know then how we ought to order our lives in light of this. What kind of people we ought to be. So this is what we're going to see. Only two points this morning. We're going to see that since the ungodly will face destruction on the day of the Lord, and the godly are promised a new world, since those two facts are true, we ought to make sure that we're prepared by living holy and godly lives. That's how you make sure. That's how you're ready for when the thief comes. Because if you're walking in faith, living a holy and godly life by the grace of God, there's no surprises. 
So two things I want to point out, and this is really interesting. I, I, uh, when the Lord showed it to me as I studied, um, it was profound to me. Two things. First of all is this. Yes, Christian, he's talking to you. Wait till you see that one. Well, that was kind of a big point for me. I love it when you're walking with Jesus for like two, three decades, and all of a sudden you've read something a million times, and all of a sudden God opens up your eyes. That's really neat. Second thing, yes, Christian, he's telling you what to do. So first of all, he's talking to you. Second of all, he's telling you what to do. Snap out of it. That's what Peter's saying. All right, so number one. Yes, he's talking to you, Christian. In chapter 2, and at the beginning of chapter 3, we saw that Peter addresses the scoffers who follow, this is his description of them, listen, it's important, who follow their own evil desires. That's what's characteristic of these scoffers. They're scoffing because they're just going along with the flow of their evil lusts. They don't want anybody raining on their parade. They don't want anybody splashing cold water on their supposed fun. So they scoff at the idea of a day of reckoning. But that's exactly what it is. It's a day of reckoning. Peter says this about them. And that's, I mean, you really got to drink this in. We didn't spend a lot of time on it. We only did one sermon on chapter 2. But Peter says this about their destiny. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Blackest darkness. That's the destiny of those who not only live this way, but here's the key. They don't only live according to their lust, they enticed weak people, unstable people, to follow their evil ways. Peter says, oh, there's a dark place for them. Now in chapter, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, Peter turns from the scoffers, that was heavy. But now he turns to us in the family of God. Remember, that's who he's writing the epistle to. He's not writing to the scoffers. He's writing to us. To stir us up to what? Pure thinking. Remember that? Those of us who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Because we already dealt with a lot of the uh, other verses before that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, it's interesting how theologians debate this phrase, this verse, and they wonder, who's the anyone that Peter is referring to when he says, not wanting anyone to perish? That's the question. Because notice what, what it says. It says that the Lord is being patient with them because he doesn't want any of them to perish, but come to repentance. Now, we know he's not referring to the scoffers. Who's he referring to? Well, we don't find our answer by going to our systematic theology. That's what us theologians do. We right away go to our, our systematic theology and try to find the answer. When actually the answer is found right in the context. Just look at the passage itself. So let me take a look. Let's take a look at, the at first of all, the verse itself. What does he say? He says, the Lord is patient with who? You. Who's he talking to? Christians. The Lord is patient with you, Christian. Not wanting anyone to perish. Anyone who? Any of his people. Right? 
Secondly, in verse 11, he tells us what our response should be to the second coming. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And then again, you ought to live holy and godly lives. You know, how often are we worried about everybody else living, but God says, what about you? I'm calling you. You can't fix the world. You can't change the world. But you can trust me. And you can do what I call you to do by faith. Again in verse 14. So then, agapitoi, which means beloved. Since, so then, agapitoi, since you are looking forward to this, the new heavens and the new earth and the destruction of the ungodly, make every effort, there's that make every effort that Peter loves to give, to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This is interesting. I never saw this before. So the surprise answer is Peter's talking to you and me, professed believers. He's talking to God's elect. You ever been in a room and someone's giving instructions, you know, you're in a small room and they're talking away, blah, 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 and you're kind of just looking up and doing your own thing. And then all of a sudden you, they're, they're like, hey, hey, say You're like, what? I'm like, wait, wait, you talking to me? <laughs> You ever do that? You're just, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You I, thought, I thought you were talking to him. That's what God's doing here. He's saying, yo, pay attention. I'm talking to you. That's what's going on in this passage. That's, it was a big eye-opener for me. See, ironically, now listen, in case you think, Santa, where are you going with this, Pastor Santa? Ironically, this is exactly what happened to Peter when Jesus was teaching on this very subject to him. Turn with me to Luke 12. This is a little bit of a long passage, but I I'm telling you, this is awesome. Luke 12, Peter was, was at this event when Jesus was teaching about his second coming, telling him to be ready. Look at uh, Luke 12, we're going to begin in verse 35, if you have your Bibles. But I have to go there so you see that this is exactly what Peter's talking about. This is what the Lord Jesus says. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Hey, keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Because this old world will soon be done. All right, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. You ever meditate on that? That's a crazy thought, isn't it? Jesus is going to wait on us. If we're ready. It will be good for those servants who, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. What's Jesus prepared us for? It's going to be long. Be ready. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you don't expect him. Now we read that earlier, right? But here's the cool part. Peter asked, now you wonder why Peter wrote what he did in chapter 3. Peter asked, uh, Lord, you talking to me? <laughs> That's basically what he says. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager 
whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose, listen brothers and sisters, suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him and in an hour he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. See, Peter took this message to heart, didn't he? Because we often, when we listen to sermons, is this is applying to me or is that everybody else, right? It isn't meant for unbelievers, but for those who profess to be servants of the Lord Jesus. Those who have been given a charge to keep until the master returns. Hey, take care of things. I'm going away. Take care of things. I'll be back to square up with you. That's what's going on. And it'd be good for those servants to be doing what I said when I get back. See, here's the idea, going back to 1 Peter 3. Those who scoff at the idea of Jesus' promised return, who say to themselves, he's taken a long, awfully long time. He's never coming back. So they begin to mistreat their fellow servants in Christ, the body of Christ, treating them horribly. They begin to indulge in drunkenness. They begin to lose faith. In a little way that shows that, the master will come unexpectedly and he will cut him to pieces and assign him with the place with unbelievers. Now listen, this isn't a case of a true believer losing their salvation. This is a case of someone being shown for what they really were all along, a non-believer. Because why are they being assigned a place with the unbelievers? Because what? They're unbelievers. Right? They didn't really believe. He was coming, like he promised. And that's exactly what the false teachers were guilty of. Where's this coming he promised? So what'd they do? They give in to the cra cravings of their own sinful nature. They eat, they drink, they get drunk, they misuse the people of God. They try to get Christians to follow their wicked ways. So what Peter is saying here, listen, he's not trying to scare us. He's trying to prepare us. He's saying, be on the guard. It's happening. He says, don't you go down that slippery slope that leads to destruction. Look with me at verse 17. So be on your guard so that you won't be carried away by the error of lawless men. And fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. So here's the really cool thing. This is encouraging. Wow, Santa looks really excited about this. I'm excited about this because what is he saying? If you're a believer, your position is secure. Think about that. You trusted in Jesus. You're walking, by him by, walking with him by grace through faith. You're in a secure spot. And those false teachers know it. And the devil knows it. They don't want you there. You stand by grace. You live by grace. You walk in grace. And what... All Peter's saying is, keep walking in it and growing it. You got the right one, baby. And all those others, they're going to regret their decision not to. 
So yes, Christian, he's talking to you, and yes, this is what he's telling you to do. Second and last point. Since the world will be judged when Jesus returns, the question is, what kind of people ought you to be? That's Peter's question, not mine. And his answer, you ought to live holy and godly lives. In other words, the promise of Christ's return, instead of leading us to slothful, lazy, sloppy, ungodly lifestyle, it should motivate us to holiness and to godliness, sober Christian living. So here's, here's the thing. Keep on being patient with one another. Keep on being long-suffering. Keep on being kind. Keep on being compassionate. Keep on being forgiving. Keep on being loving. Keep on being merciful. Keep on encouraging. Keep on gently reproving, restoring, teaching. Keep on praying. Keep on watching. Keep on exercising self-control because, listen, you will be greatly rewarded when your master comes back. See, the thing is, right now, we, we don't see the payoff. How many times have I heard my brothers just say, what am I, a welcoming mat? It's interesting. Jesus didn't seem to say that when he was dying for you, did he? Oh, look, people run right over you. It's not always going to be like that, brothers and sisters. We walk with the crucified now, but we will raise. We will be raised, and we will reign with him. But it's not yet. It's the whole point of the second coming. You want to be ready for Christ's return? Live holy and godly lives by faith. So that when it comes, it's not going to catch us by surprise. When the thief starts walking through the door, I, I knew you were coming. I'm ready. I, you know? In terms of the illustration, I let you in here. I ain't asleep. Now there's a Stevie Wonder song. has a little bit of bad theology in some of it. So I'll tell you right now, I'm going to pull it out of context. So that's good. When it's bad theology, you pull it out of context and put it in the right context. But I love when he sings. You know that song, Higher Ground? You know, teachers, keep on teaching, right? I mean, I, I, all I can think of is because of the second coming of Christ, preachers, keep on preaching. World, keep on turning because it won't be too long. Preach it, Stevie, even though you had to say some of that wrong stuff before. This is right. Lovers, keep on loving. Believers, keep on believing. Sleepers, just stop sleeping because it won't be too long. Oh, no. But notice where our hearts, where our minds, where our eyes are fixed as we're striving to live holy and godly lives. It's on Jesus and his imminent return. Our master will be back. People are like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. No, my master could be back any moment. Peter says, as you look forward to the day and speed it's coming. We look forward to a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Remember, keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. See, the home we're looking forward to, listen, this is convicting. The home we're looking forward to is the home of righteousness. So if you're looking forward to the home of righteousness, you better get a taste for it now because you're going to be living like that all the time. You know, people, they live like the devil now and all of a sudden they're going to be in the home of righteousness? not how it works 
So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Here's the point. Don't be worried about being in the false teacher's good graces. You know, the slick, cool, cutting-edge people. Or being in good stead with those who have only ungodly attitudes, beliefs, and lifestyles. But instead, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with the Lord. That's who you've got to worry about pleasing. That's who you've got to make sure you've got the, the, the stamp of approval from. Because that's the worldly teachers, that's, that's how they get you, the peer pressure. Oh man, that's back in the old dinosaur age. Christians, they don't live like that no more. We're free. And you don't want to step out of line from them, you know, because then you get punished. But don't, what, what Jesus is saying is don't worry about them. Worry about me. He's the one whose opinion matters the most. And bear in mind, Peter says, our Lord's patience means what? Salvation. And so what Peter does here toward the end of his, his epistle here is he turns to Brother Paul's writings for some corroboration. And intriguingly enough, he refers to Paul's writings as Scripture, which is pretty cool. He, his point is that Paul too speaks of these things in his God-breathed writings, some things that he writes are hard to understand. Can I get an amen? amen? But notice, it's ignorant and unstable people that distort it. It's not humble Christians seeking the truth. And these folks, these unstable, ignorant people, they distort Paul's writings as they do the other scriptures, and then notice that word again, to their own destruction. Now listen. I think he's personally, personally, I think he's referring to those who turn the grace of God into a license to sin. And I'll tell you why. Romans chapter 3, verse 8, Paul refers to those people when he says this. Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. And then you know what Paul says? Their condemnation is just. You know, it's the whole idea, well, if, if, Grace superabounds when sin abounds, well then why not sin more so we get more grace? Talk about twisting. What he's saying here is that don't go that way. So much of the Bible, listen, only a few more moments here, hang with me. So much of the Bible warns us about falling into the destructive spiritual error of legalism. You know what legalism is? Legalism is trying to obtain your right standing with God by obeying the law. That's legalism. But with your own efforts, your own attempts at doing what God says. Now this way leads to death because it's a death sentence because none of us can do it. And sometimes we feel safe because we run from that error like we run from the plague. Can I get a witness? I grew up that, I ran from that. When I first got saved, man, I got out of there. I hightailed it out by the grace of God. But the answer to legalism is not license. See, that's, that's to fall off the other side of the cliff. Listen, if you fall on this side of the cliff or you fall off that side of the cliff, guess what? You're still dying. And that's what's going on here. You're jumping, the, these false teachers jump from, what is it, the frying pan into the fryer. The fire, excuse me. 
The way to curb our sinful lusts is not to try to follow stricter, tighter rules. Or, on the other side, giving in to your sinful lusts and letting them lead the way. Hey, if you can't beat them, join them. That's the false teachers. No, the way to avoid falling off, off the cliff on either legalism or license is found in verse 18. Take a look with me. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. The answer is grace. God's unmerited favor shown to us in Christ Jesus. God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves in Christ Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. We remember that when we first got saved. Peter's saying, just stick to it. Grow in it. It's his grace that's brought me safe this far. Can I get a witness? And grace will lead me home. Not something else that's going to lead me home. And it's not grace in the abstract. I'm afraid sometimes we say grace, grace, grace. It's not grace in the abstract. It's the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Say his name. It's not some generic G-O-D. It's Jesus. The only name whereby we must be saved. Paul says it's the grace of God that does something for us. It teaches us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you know what grace does that nothing else can do? It makes a people who are eager to do what's good. Only the grace of God takes the ought to and makes it a want to. You get that? That's gospel sanctification. And that's what keeps us for our master's return. We want to be ready for Jesus. Grow in his grace. Stay the course. Walk in the truth of the gospel. Now maybe, I don't know, maybe this is, uh, might be the first time in your life you've ever even considered getting on that road. And to get on that road is, the Bible tells us, repent and believe the good news. Put all your trust in the Lord Jesus. But as believers, if you're ready on that road, remember the name of this church plan. New City Fellowship. Why do we call it that? Because we're looking for the new city. Why do you think we're working so hard to, to, to be an agent of change in this old city? Hallelujah. Amen? Because we're looking forward to the new city. Whose foundation, whose builder, and who, the architect is God. We're looking for the new city. So what Peter is saying, let's live like it. Lives of faith in light of Jesus' imminent return. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for this timely word, how we thank you for this quickening word, and how we thank you for this reminder not to be afraid of those who threaten, who mock, uh, because we won't follow their evil, wicked ways, and we won't call evil good and good evil. But Lord, help us in your mercy and your grace to stay the course, trusting 
Lord Jesus, in your perfect life, your perfect death, and your resurrection, and trusting you day to day to work in us what's pleasing in your sight, that it's not just what we ought to do, but what we actually want to do, that we would delight ourselves in the Lord, that you would give us the desires of our hearts, because our desires would be your desires. Lord, may we be found faithful, doing what you call us to do when you come back, so it won't be like a thief. We'll be ready. I pray this for every single person who has the blessing of hearing this message. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.